Guide to Politics. I am Liz Philippos, and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation. Each week, I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment the possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. Today's conversation is about the movement of faith-based leadership for progressive purposes in the United States today. And my guest is Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. Reverend Angel is called the most intriguing African-American Buddhist by Library Journal. Angel is a sensei, an author, a maverick spiritual teacher, a master trainer, and founder of the Center for Transformative Change. She has been bridging the worlds of personal transformation and justice since the publication of her critically acclaimed book, Being Black, Zen, and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace. Her book was hailed as an act of love by Pulitzer Prize winner Alice Walker and a classic by Buddhist teacher Jack Cornfield. Her new co-authored book, Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation, is igniting communities, Buddhist, activist, and beyond, to have the conversations necessary to become more awake and aware of what hinders liberations of self and society. The Radical Dharma events that have emerged from the book, Connection Circles and Conversations, have initiated profound healing and deepened commitment, dismantling oppression across lines of race, class, sexual orientation, and other divides. Ordained as a Zen priest, Angel is a sensei, the second of only five black women recognized as teachers in the Japanese Zen lineage. She is a social visionary that applies wisdom teachings and embodied practice to intractable social issues at the intersections where race, climate, and economic justice meet. She coined the name for the field of transformative social change and sees it as America's next great movement. In recognition of her work, Reverend Angel received the first Creating Enlightened Society Award from the International Shambhala Community. For over 20 years, Angel has deeply invested her time and energy to putting into practice her unwavering belief that the key to transforming society is transforming our inner lives. And I'll just read you a passage from the book Radical Dharma, talking race, love, and liberation. There is no neutral. 
We are at a critical moment in the history of the nation, as well as within the Buddhist teaching and tradition in America. This is the back-of-the-bus moment of our time. Fifty years after civil rights laws were laid down, it is clear that they were enshrined within a structure that continues to profit from anti-black racism. The necessary bias that the system requires in order to be perpetuated has permeated our sanghas, our spiritual communities, and in this very moment we are called to put aside business as usual. If you have ever wondered how you would have shown up in the face of the challenge put before white America when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, upending the accepted social order, now is the time you will find out. For Western convert Buddhist America, this is the time when we will actually embody our practice and teachings or not. This is the second part of my conversation with Angel Kyoto Williams. We start talking about the movement of faith-based leadership in the United States, starting with the question about this concept of the religious left. So I wanted to just switch gears a little bit and ask you about possibilities. And this comes from the Washington Post uh, read an article a little while ago referring to the religious left, question mark, You were included in that group of the religious left. Can you talk a bit about that notion of a religious left in the United States? Is it a meaningful movement? Uh, What's happening there? I appreciate the term. I mean, I understand why the term is used, but I'm I'm often prone to say immediately that we shouldn't cede the idea of religion or spirituality or anything to to the right by naming it the religious left as if there's a religious left and right in this in the sense of if we suppose that much of the teachings of the major religions in the country have been i want to say intertwined with with capitalism with racism with nationalism and that they are therefore uh, bastardizations of the fundamental teachings of, of of these traditions, then it's important to not suggest like there's we're just having a difference of opinion, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like that. Oh, you you there's a religious right in the sense of like we just we just have difference of opinion. I think what being called the religious left is a, a, a body of people that are increasingly aware of. First of all, the way that we have in the past advocated the seat of religion and moral authority to the so-called right. So that's one thing. And it is a willingness to reach into the fundamental core teachings of these traditions and reveal them for the past towards peace, towards care for the poor, for the kind of broad sense of prophetic relationship to peoples and and what those religions are about, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Muhammad, the teachings that emerge from Judaism, all have at their core these fundamental sense, this fundamental sense of being in relationship with people in such a way that we care for people, that we honor people, and certainly in every single you know text of our traditions you can find something that also calls forth some 
uh, you know, some, some other path. Uh, but the religious left is drawing us back to the moral high ground of our traditions and saying to people, we on that are holding forth progressive values refuse to cede moral authority to the right in the way that the political left and religion and spirituality have been separated for so long as a conversation in this country. We sort of made the left about the intelligentsia, and if people had their particular religious past, then that was okay, but it wasn't the thing that was held at the forefront. We created this cleaving between the left as this somewhat immoral, non-grounded, you know, everything goes kind of space where there's gay people and trans people and, you know, people of different races mixing with each other. And like, it's just this like hedonistic, everything goes kind of place. And that the right then had the religious authority, a sense of family values of what is true and true and right. So I think what this movement is, is to reclaim a prophetic vision of uh, a possibility for rooting ourselves in an ethical standing in a, in a moral sense of what is right and true for us to live in relationship with each other, regardless of our religions, regardless of our sexual orientation, regardless of our races, that we transcend these things and actually live into a moral vision that goes even beyond most of what our texts write per se. They point each of them the point towards. So the so-called religious left is reclaiming its location in politics and reclaiming its uh, rightful location in the conversation about the cultural unfolding of these of this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful explanation and a way to frame that conversation that it it isn't just a matter of opinion about how you read religious texts, but that there is something true in religious text that is about oneness and yes. connection and uh, Mm-hmm. And we have to, again, reckon with the fact that uh, Christianity was woven into the some of the most, you know, horrific aspects of the founding of this nation. It was used to convince people that the path that they were taking was, was a righteous one. Uh, in fact, it was, you know, Christianity that, that gave permission to take peoples and enslave them, uh, to take people's lands and you know, do, do that for the sake of the faith, for the sake of expanding the faith. And so we have to reckon with the truth of that. We have to reckon with the parts of our religions and the calls that were made by peoples, you know, in, in high authority that made these things okay. So it's not just a bunch of people got here and lands that were already populated by people and then they came along and, you know, had this religion, but rather religion was actually the driving force that gave people permission to do things that were unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Uh, They turned the kind of behavior that they were uh, committing against themselves and against their own peoples outward onto peoples that were in these so-called new lands, in these other lands. And so the left progresses and people that are very connected to their religions have to also reckon with the truth of that. You know, so this is this is what we're doing. This great reckoning, and uh, I see that in our uh, community of spiritual practitioners and religious faith leaders, uh, coming to terms with like, oh, this is how we were a part of this, and so we can actually 
uphold the truth of both of, of that complexity of both those things having been true, that we have this deep and profound teachings and moral grounding that exist here. And we have some real uh, challenges and conflict in the ways in which those teachings were put forward and, and inter intertwined with the genocides of people and the destruction of peoples throughout the world. Mm -hmm. So I think we're finally leaving that place. And again, this is back to the beginning of what I was saying is that we're leaving this sort of simplistic place of like either we're good or we're bad, either you're right and I'm wrong, we're entering into a complexity. It's like either white people are better or, or we're going to uh, be overrun by the blacks and the brown people, but rather we're living into a sense of more complexity and a willingness to therefore drop into something that is beyond uh, these simple boxes that all of us have been given to abide by. Mm -hmm. And I think we're just in uncharted territory, and that's fantastic, but mm -hmm. it's also challenging. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Why is it fantastic to be in uncharted territory? Because none of us re really have ever seen what is possible. It's moving humanity towards a, a much more complex and sophisticated way of relating that doesn't that can't rely any longer on these uh, lines that are drawn from for us whether they're the lines of the borders of a country or the lines that are prescribed by our religious text and inviting us into a much more relational field that drives a sense of what is right and what is wrong from a place that is deeper and truer than just like, oh, okay, here's a text that tells me what I can do and what I can't do, and now, you know, everything unfolds from that, which those texts have been, uh, obviously, they're, they're predisposed to being corrupted by anyone that then comes along, right? And then we have the same problem again, but rather, okay, my text says this, my nation says this, my laws say this, but I know that this overrunning these people is not right, and I'm going to resist doing that because I'm now in more relationship with the truth of my humanity. And that's, that leaves us with, not without a set of laws, but it leaves us without laws that are so uh, strictly binding that we ignore at our own peril the nature of what it means to be a human being and be in relationship with others. We're left in a place in which we're going to have to be more in touch with ourselves as human beings rather than less. We're going to be in a place, and, and we are emerging into that place, where we can't just leave the uh, question of how it is that we are on the planet and who it is that we be and who we be, how we be in relationship to each other is left to someone else's uh, dictation, because we can see that those people will dictate something to us that undermines who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. And so it's fantastic because we are going to have to actually be in more relationship with each other. Right. So as a result of being in more relationship, we're finding ourselves having to be in more relationship with each other and more relationship with ourselves. Right. If you're just joining us now, you're listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics with Angel Kyoto Williams talking about leaping into uncharted territory and unlimited possibilities. You know, there's a lot of emotions associated with being in uncharted territory. How do you respond to that, the 
Just the emotions of it. How I would respond to people is to say, you know, we, you were built for this. This is how we were structured in order to evolve and be able to take in more complexity. And the question is, do you want to have your mind uh, just caught up in, you know, the sort of day-to-day of, like, how am I going to, you know, get to my Uber or, you know, what kind of convenience can I, can I, can I uh, create for myself? Or are you willing to step back into a place that's more engaged with the fullness of yourself as a human being. And that includes being in relationship to the complex emotions that come up as a result of things not being clear and known, that those things being so clear and so known, but from external, uh, from an external location is, is a false sense of security, is a false sense of safety. And when our sense of security is in relationship with being secure within the unknown, then we actually live as more complete and more free, more liberated human beings. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it's important because the fear of the unknown really can be so gripping. We have to know that there is a reason to go through it, that there is something to work with in that fear, even our sense of self or identity that we're shedding along the way. Most of what we perceive as known is falsely constructed anyway, and it's limited, it's, it's inclined to fall apart, and we'll enter into the unknown again. Uh-huh. So really the, the path or the practice or the training that we have to create for ourselves is a, more of a willingness to be in the unknown, right? Rather than just, oh, we have to make it through the unknown because mm-hmm. there's this known that's on the other side and we're going to get to it. Unknown is, the unknown is what, what it means to be fully alive and, and be human. That doesn't mean that absolutely everything is going to be unknown, but more is unknown than is known. That's actually what is true. And if we can allow ourselves to be in confrontation with that truth, then we can settle into something that's more organic and more emergent rather than more fixed, because the more fixed we get, because we're holding on to this notion of, okay, but I have to get it to be known, I have to get it to Mm. be fixed and be still, then we get smaller, we get more limited, we get more contained, we get more acquiescent, we allow uh, ourselves to be told, this is how you're going to do things, This this is the way that it has to be in order for you to have that safety. We're then driven by that fear of the unknown. What, mm-hmm. is, what will happen if we let those people in? What will happen if we uh, drop those borders? That's how it happens. It's, it's, they're 100% related. Whatever is going on outside is going on inside. And so if we loosen the bonds of fear up inside, then we can be more willing to confront the the things that, that we see in our society that we know to be unjust, but we have to work with that injustice and that the fear of uh, the unknown that's in ourselves. Yes, I hear what you're saying. There's something about developing a capacity, a facility for riding the mm-hmm. unknown, because it's all unknown, essentially. There's more going on mm-hmm. in the invisible than we know, and that that's yeah. where the juice is, right? The juice of possibilities is being yeah. able to ride that wave. 
Yeah, and something does become known. I, you know, I, may, I imagine there'll be people listening. They're like, "What? Everything should just become unknown." <laughs> something does become known, but it's a different kind of known than mm. we're generally accustomed to. It's a, it's a, it's a dynamic knowing. It's the kind of knowing you have when you know that you love someone. There's nothing fixed about that. You can't put your hands on it. There's an intangibility. There's an ineffability of that knownness it's but it's true to your bones you know it in every cell of your body it's that kind of knowing so we, more of us will be able to have that kind of knowing and when the field gets great enough of people that have that kind of knowing and we relax something different will emerge in the society a new america can emerge i don't know what it looks like because i i'm not in my unknownness enough with enough people yet. But if enough of us, you know, step into it and we're willing to let it unfold and see what comes out of it, we will get to a tipping point, which which we've done in history before, when we have dramatic shifts in so-called civilization, where enough of us say, okay, we're going to take this leap into this place that is unknown. And we just have no idea what it will look like. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes, beautiful, beautiful. Can I ask you one more question? I know we're coming to the end of our time. Yes, yes. Oh, good, oh, good. I just would love to hear you talk a bit about uh, revolutionary love. I know you talked about this in relationship to radical dharma. Just give us a little taste of that. Uh, What I was saying is, I think, exactly connected to that, which is we are moving into a desire, a yearning, some could relate it to uh, religion and spirituality, that we want to know this sort of uh, oneness with God or the divine. Uh, We want to be more whole, more complete. In order to do that, we need to be in greater relationship with uh, the complexity of who we are. Like our, and we say radical dharma, which is to say our whole truth, our complete truth. And that means our our truth past and our truth present, right? And and even our truth going forward, which is to say reckoning with where we have come from and what kind of learning and training and uh, inheritances we have had in terms of how we move through the world. And to be willing, in order to be reaching towards a, a more whole self, to be willing to confront the parts of ourselves and the parts of our and when I say inheritance, I mean the things that we were told about how the world works and who we should love and who we can love and who we can't love. In, in order to be more complete to ourselves, we're willing to confront those things. We're willing to say, oh, that way in which I was told about how to navigate those people and the way my family, my grandfather told me, like, you should never trust those people. I have to reckon with that and I have to figure out how I both hold my grandfather and love him for who he was and at, at that time and then and recognize that what he told me doesn't allow me to be as whole a person as I would like to be. That in my commitment to love beyond constraints of false divides and false constructs, that that is a revolutionary love, that willingness to go beyond what I've been told is is my true birthright, that that's actually what I'm 
born for, that I'm born to come into knowing that. I'm born to come into relationship with that. Not for the sake of the others, not so that I can say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm such a good person, you know, because I really care about those migrants that are coming in the country and I'm going to go and hang out with them so that they, they feel better because I'm in a great position and they're not. But rather because I feel the limitation that exists when I hold on to an idea that I'm better than them and that they should stay over there in their country, in their place. That The revolutionary love is a love uh, for oneself and for the wholeness of oneself that unfolds into relationship with others, mm-hmm. that unfolds into a sense of, oh, actually, I'm not going to be a whole person until I reckon, I reckon with and I meet with the ways in which my existence, what I have, my resources, my access is all predicated on the limit, limiting of resources and access to other people. And I've got to work with that because uh, it's, it's no longer possible for me to abide. That's, for me, that's a revolutionary love. And that revolutionary love expresses itself in how I show up in relationship to others. So we, and that's what we say, revolutionary justice. We see justice as a result of a very, very encompassing love that we have for ourselves and a commitment that we have to being true and whole and honest and real with all of our realities, not just the parts of it that feel comfortable to get into, but our past, our communities, our cult, the culture we have, the way our families operate, the bias that exists there, the you know, all, all of the dark and, and difficult stuff uh, all brought into the present moment and reckoned with. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen all at once. It's not uh, something that most of us, you know, wake up and say, oh, this is what I'm going to set, set out to do. But as more and more of us do it, we realize that there's really no other way to live in the world. Mm-hmm. So the promise really is of wholeness of ourselves that is big enough, vast enough, spacious enough to extend way beyond anything that we think we are in this moment. The promise of that revolutionary love of really, really feeling connected, really feeling connected to the presence, the present moment, the where we are, Mm -hmm. who we are, what we're meant to be, what we came here for. I can't imagine what else we're actually here for. <laughs> right. If we if that's not what we're here for, we're pretty much here to like get born, work, and go back into the ground or to the air, or the ashes, and the earth, this, the ocean again. I've got to be committed to the the belief that human beings are are here to do something greater than than just be born, live, and die. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And that kind of mythology yeah. is contributes to our misery, thinking that that's all there is, or just getting locked right. into that thought process. Yeah, of course, we're here for something. We're here to love. Beautiful, beautiful. Is there anything that listeners should know about what's coming up? How can people work with you? Over the course of rest of the summer and into the fall, there'll be several radical Dharma gatherings. Uh, We have them in different formats in the weekend, and the format that I really love, which is a deep dive conversation, is called Radical Radical Dharma Conversation, and that'll be at Omega Institute in August. Uh, We'll also have one in early August at 
Shambhala Mountain Center. And there'll be some things coming up in Portland and in Seattle. So if people check out my page at angelkyotowilliams.com slash events, can you find me there? Okay. And of course, also radicaldharma.org. Well, I am so grateful to you for sharing all that you've shared today. And uh, truly, I, I just am inspired, you know, that your social justice comes from such a solid, peaceful center. Thank you. Yeah, so grateful. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, Liz. Thank you. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics here on KPFK Radio. My name is Liz Filippos. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you joined us. Until next time, 